If you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead, you will be saved. That's Romans 10, verse 9. And I think it encapsulates the essence of the gospel like very few other scriptures. And yet, Romans 10, 9 is probably not as well known to us as John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that all who believe may not perish but have eternal life. But for me, there's something striking about this passage in Romans. If you confess on your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he's raised from the dead, you will be saved. And it's this word confess. If you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord. When we think of that word confess, I have to, in my own mind at least, begin with the idea of someone who is confessing something they did wrong. They're making an admission of guilt. And yet the word itself just simply means to admit or acknowledge. And it has a broader usage than simply guilt of a crime or other uh, misdeed of some kind or transgression. To confess means to make an admission, to admit with your lips that Jesus is Lord and to believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead and you will be saved. This three-word, Jesus is Lord, was the earliest Christian creed. It's how Christians would attest to their faith. So to say, confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord would have been something that the church already knew about when Paul wrote his letter. Now, when we talk about creeds, we usually think about the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, and maybe the less well-known Athanasian Creed. If you haven't read that recently, you should Google it. Give yourself an extra 10 minutes, though. It's kind of long. But when we think about creeds, the early church in the first few hundred years spent a lot of time debating and discussing and arguing and fighting and even having conflict that escalated into violence over all of those creedal statements. Think about the creed. We have the three articles, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You probably, at one point in your life, and maybe even today, have the Apostles' Creed memorized. How many had to do that for confirmation, for example? Uh, So you think about all the provisions and tenets that are in those creeds, whether it's the virgin birth, Uh, whether it's the resurrection of the dead, forgiveness of sins, God as creator of all that there is, there's a whole lot packed into those creeds. And each denomination has their own kind of thing, and we actually in the Lutheran faith have what are called the Lutheran confessions. These are entire books that are dedicated not just to the basics of the creed, but to all the intricacies as Dave was talking about justification by grace through faith, all kinds of things. If you really want to spend a great afternoon today, check out the Augsburg Confession. You'll love it. But in the early church, they didn't have any of that. And it's not because they didn't have a sophisticated faith. 
It's not because they were uh, just simple, but their early creed, Jesus is Lord. Like if you believe that and can speak that authentically in your heart and with your lips, you've got it right. And the rest of the stuff, yeah, you can argue, you can debate, you can have books and articles for the next 2,000 years, but Jesus is Lord. And what exactly does that mean? Jesus is Lord. It means there's power in Jesus. Jesus is the Lord. That means I'm not. That means I submit my very strong will to the will of Jesus. It means Jesus gets to be in charge of my life. Our gospel is an ongoing sort of case study in how we live out this idea of Jesus is Lord. Last week, we heard the story of the feeding of the 5,000, how Jesus heard the news about John the Baptist's death and was so grieved that he just wanted to go by himself. And then he saw the crowds that were gathered, and he had such compassion for them that he healed their sick and fed multitudes. The verses we just heard pick up right after that, and it says, Immediately he sent the disciples away and sent the crowds away and went on to the mountain to pray. He's still grieving. And when he is done with his prayer, after sending the disciples away in a boat, storm comes up, and they're way far away at sea, and Jesus does the Jesus thing. says, well... You know, I could get a boat and row out to them, but, you know, it's getting late. I think I'll just walk on the water and meet them over there. You know, just a normal Jesus thing to do. And, of course, the disciples see him. They think he's a ghost, and who could blame them? You see some kind of vision on the water. If you've ever spent time on the water, there can be some funky things out there. And they're, they're very afraid. And Jesus says, do not be afraid, it is I. And then Peter does an audacious thing by the power of Jesus' name. And that's what I want to just underline. Jesus is Lord, and the name of Jesus is a powerful name. It has power to those who believe in it. It has power to forgive sins, to heal people. It has the power to change entire lives and our entire world. And through that name, Peter walks on water. He's following Jesus so closely. He has such strong faith in that moment that he does the very same miracle that Jesus does. He walks on water until he notices the wind. Same wind that battered their boat. He now feels on his skin and he's terrified and he begins to sink. And the words he speaks, again, so powerful, Lord, save me, and immediately Jesus saves him. Now they get their object lesson from Jesus after, why did you have such little faith, and that's great. 
But the power of Jesus' name to cry out in the time of need, in the time of greatest fear as you're sinking in the water, Lord, save me. Jesus is Lord. This confession, that to confess with our lips that Jesus is Lord and to believe in our hearts that he was raised in the dead, you will be saved. That's true in an eternal salvation way that we can confess with our lips that Jesus is Lord, that we stand as recipients of God's amazing love and grace. But it's also true in an everyday kind of way, that when we cry out, Lord, save me, Jesus hears us and responds. God's love and compassion for us is always nearby. Jesus is Lord, though, is more than simply an early creed, as powerful as it is. In the day of Paul and in the early church, Jesus is Lord was actually radical and dangerous and subversive. In the Roman Empire, they kind of operated like a religious cult. In addition to all the, the, the warfare and the imperialism, they also shrouded Caesar, the emperor, with a kind of godlike status. And they sort of had what we might call a pledge of allegiance, that they asked people, and depending on who the Caesar was, it could be either tightly enforced or maybe loosely, so this is why the early Christian church was sometimes heavily persecuted and sometimes ignored. But they had a, a, their pledge of allegiance, if you will, is Caesar is Lord. That meant that every part of your life under the Roman Empire was controlled and dominated by whatever the emperor said. And if you wanted to stay alive, for example, or not have all of your property taken from you, burned down, whatever the case might be, imprisoned, you would stay, state in front of the Roman soldiers, Caesar is Lord. And in that context, Paul, and he does this in other places in his letters, tells the Christian church, Jesus is Lord, and confess it with your lips. Notice the distinction that Paul makes. He says, if you confess with your lips Jesus is Lord and believe in your hearts that he was raised from the dead, you will have salvation. You will be saved. You have to confess it with your lips, which is dangerous to do in a public setting. It's probably dangerous to do in a private setting if anybody's with you. Jesus is Lord is the ultimate act of political subversion and defiance by the early church. And in Philippians it says, every knee should bow at the name of Jesus and confess with your lips. So when the emperor and the soldiers hear this kind of thing, the Christians are putting a target on their back. 
So when we say confess Jesus as Lord, it meant something specific in the early church. And maybe it still means that today, because I'd like to say that it does. Jesus as Lord is just as much of a challenge in our culture, at least in a spiritual sense, as it was then. If you confess Jesus as Lord in America, you're not going to get hunted down by the government, despite maybe some conspiracy theories out there. We do have that freedom. But if you believe Jesus is Lord and actually orient your life to the teachings of Jesus, because that's what I think it means. It means if Jesus is Lord, that means Jesus is in charge. That means we actually have to listen and follow the teachings of Jesus. To love our neighbor, to pray for our enemies, to make sure that the most vulnerable among us are cared for, the widows, orphans, and strangers. To say Jesus is Lord means that my needs are not the most important thing in the world. To say Jesus is Lord means that maybe instead of accumulating all of my possessions and wealth and treasures and holding them tightly, that I live in God's abundance and give myself away. That's a challenge in our culture, to live that out. And it's a threat to those who depend on us being certain kinds of consumers to keep the economic forces going, to say Jesus is Lord and mean it, to confess it on your lips and to live it in your life. For the early Christians, this was a radical and powerful statement, and I think it still is. And so each day we're invited as we live out our faith, as we live into our baptismal calling, we're invited to make Jesus the Lord of our life and to mean it. And by the power of faith and through the inspiration that is ongoing from the Holy Spirit, may we do so. Amen.